welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. We're going to be in Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. Romans 8, starting in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and uh, ask the Lord to help us during this time. Father, we come before you, um, and as we worship you, we realize your beauty and your wisdom and your glory and your holiness. And and then we realize we're sinners in need of forgiveness. And it's just so beautiful to be reminded that your son Jesus has taken away our sin, that his blood covers us now, that we are in him such that you see us with his righteousness, worn like a robe, and we can come into your presence and hear your word, not as your enemies, and not even just as your servants, but as your very children. And we pray, Lord, as we dig into Romans 8 here and we see this gift of adoption, that we would just feel ourselves to be adopted, to feel ourselves to be your actual children. Lord, we know from this text that you have sent your spirit for that very purpose, to testify to our spirits that we are children of God. And so we pray, Lord, that you would do that testimony tonight that your spirit would come and testify to our spirits personally, each one of us, that we are children of God. And we pray for anyone here that is not a child of God yet. Lord, we pray that your spirit would testify to them the reality and the truth of the gospel and the reality of their sin and just the immense grace that's theirs if they would come to you through Christ. And we pray that they would. Lord, you open blind eyes and you enliven dead hearts. And so you could do that tonight. People that maybe didn't even realize that they weren't Christians. Maybe they didn't even realize they weren't your children. And suddenly they can cry out to you, Abba, Father. That they would have the full, humble confidence of knowing that they're your kids. We pray that you would do that work in our hearts. We pray that every one of us would leave with that kind of real confidence in your spirit. This is something only you can do, and we ask that you would do it for your glory and for our joy. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're back in Romans 8, as you can see, and it's a great passage on the work of the Holy Spirit. And we've had two weeks. We had Ascension and we had Pentecost, where we looked at the gifts of the Spirit. But tonight we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit assures us of our adoption. Take a look at verse 16. It's kind of in the middle of our text. It says, The Spirit himself testifies, bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. Guys, that's something we should thank the Holy Spirit for every day that testimony to our spirits that we are really children of God. Because to be God's child, to be truly adopted by him, is the greatest thing you could possibly have. 
And so to know that you are is the greatest thing you could possibly know. Okay, it's the most important thing for you to know tonight is that you truly are a child of God. And that's what the Spirit does. He, he testifies to us our adoption. I just want to back up a little bit and talk about adoption because sometimes we, we don't think of that image of the gospel. We think of justification or propitiation or some of these other uh, ways of looking at the gospel. But adoption, guys, is the greatest gift of the gospel. The, and adoption is the greatest gift of the gospel because God is the greatest treasure. And adoption gets us God as our Father. Okay, so there's other gifts of the gospel. For example, forgiveness. Forgiveness is an amazing gift of the gospel. Who's thankful for forgiveness? Anyone? Thankful for forgiveness. We're super thankful to know that God remembers our sin no more. That's amazing. That would be, if we all, that's all we got, we'd be amazed. But there's more, right? There's the gift of propitiation. That's the gift of knowing that God has no wrath for us. How many people are happy God has no wrath for them? This is amazing. This is an amazing gift. There's the gift of redemption. The gift that you are no longer enslaved to sin and you can walk in freedom from that. That's an amazing gift of the gospel. You guys thankful for that? I'm thankful for that. But adoption, guys, is the greatest gift of the gospel because adoption is the real purpose that God did all those things. He forgave your sin through Jesus. He, he took away his wrath and he's freed you from slavery to sin so that he could welcome you in as his very child. It's the whole point. The whole point is that you would get God. And I think sometimes we forget that. You know, sometimes we're just thinking about forgiveness or we're just thinking about some other benefit of the gospel, just the removal of our guilt. But it's better than that, guys. The fact of the matter is, is that we get God as our father. We get to be his very child. This adoption process is completely God's doing. Okay, the father was completely the one responsible for our adoption. And that makes sense with the image, right? Like kids don't go looking out to find somebody to adopt them, right? Uh, the, the parents, the one they initiates, and it's the same in the gospel. If you're a Christian tonight, it's because God, before he made the world, chose you to be his kid. And I can give you a scripture on that. Ephesians 1, 3. I think it'd be worth turning there. It's very tasty. Ephesians 1, 3 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So he's saying there that if you're a Christian tonight, it's because in eternity past, God the Father chose to adopt you as his kid. It's amazing, right? And as we look at these texts, we can also see that your adoption was the work of the entire Trinity, all three persons of the Trinity. The Father chose you in eternity past. Then in time, Jesus came, right? And he paid the adoption price. There was a massive adoption price for you. It was the price of paying for your sin. Jesus came and did that. And then at some point in your life where you were just kind of being a fool, walking your own way, doing your own thing, the Holy Spirit came for you and made you alive to him. There was at some point when the Father, who had planned this from eternity past, paid for it in Jesus, sometime in your life, went to the Holy Spirit and he said, get him. Or he said, get her. And the Spirit came into your life, opened your eyes to the beauty of Jesus, and you repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus and came to him. And this is all the Father's doing. And, and it's the work of all three persons of the Trinity. Now, if you just grasp what I just said, the most reasonable question right now in your minds would be, why me? Why me? Why would he choose to adopt me? To which I can tell you, I have no idea. Okay? And I know you guys. I have no idea. This is grace, guys. 
This is totally grace. In fact, Israel had the same question, like, why adopt us? And in Deuteronomy 7, this is what God said. This is the answer he gave. You can take this as your answer for why he chose to adopt you. In Deuteronomy 7, it says this. God says to Israel, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of the people. But it is because the Lord loves you and was keeping his oath that he swore to the fathers. So the answer here is, I loved you and chose you because I loved you. This is not an answer, right? But it's super comforting. It's super comforting that the reason why God reached out to us to adopt us as his own has to do with his love and his grace, not our deeds. Guys, you can't mess this up. That's the amazing thing about it. He's saying to Israel, I didn't choose you because you were, you know, this great nation or I thought, you know, you'd really show off my name really well. He says, I chose you because I loved you. And I loved you because I loved you. It doesn't make sense, but this is the best kind of way to be loved. He doesn't love us because it's something we can do for him. He loved us because it wells up in his own self. And this is totally the opposite, guys, of the Roman adoption at the time this was written. In Rome, there was adoption laws and you could, an adult man that had no kids, could adopt another man to be his son, to be his adopted son. And uh, an example of this would be Julius Caesar. He adopted Octavius. He became Augustus, right? That was an adoption. Um, uh, Octavius was an adult. This was actually, as soon as Julius Caesar died, it was in his will to adopt him. So he adopted him as an adult man. Why? Because you really wanted to have somebody that had proven their worth. Okay, if they're going to carry on your name, then you want to wait till they've kind of grown up a little bit. And you can see that this person's worthy to carry my name. This person has shown their worth. And so you didn't adopt an infant. That's risky, right? Who knows how they'll turn out. You would adopt an adult because they would be worthy to carry on your name. Guys, our adoption is the exact opposite. God didn't sit around and wait for us to become worthy. We were the exact opposite. We were totally unworthy. And yet he adopted us. Guys, this is grace in its strongest most obvious concentrated form. And guys, the other thing to find out about your adoption is that it's a sharing in Jesus's own sonship. It's a sharing in Jesus's own relationship with the Father. Take a look at our text in verse 14. When Paul talks about adoption here, notice that he uses the word sons. Your, your Bible might say something other than sons. It might say children or something in verses 14 and 15. That's not really what it is. In Greek, it's, a, it's huios. It's, it means sons. And he's very intentional about this in 14 to 15. Children comes later, but in this particular passage, it's sons. Take a listen. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery falling back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by which you cry out, Abba, Father. Notice he, he says sons, and he, and he doesn't say sons and daughters, even though in, in verse 12, when he says brothers, that means brothers and sisters, Adelphoi, it's, it's men and women. And then later on, down in verse 16, he calls us children of God. But in 14 and 15, he specifically intentionally uses a Greek word that just means sons. It doesn't mean sons and daughters. Why? He's using this word to encompass men and women, boys and girls, and calling them sons. Why did he do this? Is this somehow show the lower regard for women or something like that? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means the exact opposite. Both men and women or boys or girls are called sons of God because in adoption, we get Jesus's sonship. You're actually getting enveloped in a relationship between the father and the son. You're actually, because you're united with Jesus, you're actually receiving his sonship. Jesus has a sonship, not a daughtership. And so you're called sons because you're in that relationship, Right? It's not that Jesus gave us a, you know, generic child-father relationship. That would be great. But he gave us his very relationship to share in with the Father. 
It's not a new relationship. It's a very old relationship between the Father and Son that reaches back all the way to eternity past. And I have a very simple diagram. I know. And um, so, so imagine, and I'm going to write big. Okay, so from all eternity, you have the Father and the Son. God is three persons, one God, living eternally in love and delight in one another. So not bored with each other, enjoying one another from all eternity. Dallas Willard was once asked, what was God doing before creation? And his answer was, he was enjoying themselves. Okay, he was enjoying themselves. Okay, so the father eternally loves the son. The son eternally loves the father. And the Holy Spirit is the one in which they are loving one another. So you have the three persons of the Trinity in love with one another. This is an eternal relationship that's been going on forever. Never had a beginning because God never had a beginning. Loving and delighting in one another in the Holy Spirit through all eternity. And so what happens is when you became a Christian... You're here on the outside of this good time. And the Holy Spirit reached out to you, saved you, and united you with Christ so that you're right in the midst of this relationship, right? This is a relationship between the Father and Son of of mutual love and delight. And because you're united to Christ, you're enjoying the love of the Father. And we'll see in a little bit, you're actually um, experiencing the love the Son has for the Father. It's an amazing thing, guys. This adoption, this isn't something you mess up. This is something once you're in it, this is something that's a, a beautiful thing. You know, his, remember when Jesus said to his disciples, he said, I'm going to your God and my God, my Father and your Father. That he is our Father now because we become a part, we become united with Christ such that that relationship is now ours. You might ask, well, how can I get that? <laughs> you should ask that if you don't have it. You should be asking, how can I get that? And in John, there's a really beautiful answer John 1.12 says this, But to all who received Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so if tonight, if, you're not a, if you haven't experienced you know, being a son or a daughter of God, you can tonight by receiving Jesus. So Jesus paid for your sin. If you trust in him and turn from your sin, he will give you this kind of relationship with God. You can be truly adopted by God to be his very child. And a lot of times in our culture, we talk about like every, every person's a child of God. Not so. Ephesians 2 is very clear on this, that we don't start off that way. We have to become adopted by God, and we do it by faith in Jesus Christ. And guys, this is such an amazing gift, this, this gift of adoption. And I think if you really sit back and think about it, you might have a hard time even believing that's true of you, especially in spite of your sin. Especially because a lot of times we don't feel that kind of closeness to God. We feel kind of distant from Him and because of our sin and because of, you know, just being in this physical world, we can feel, we can question, right? Like any adopted child, right? Like any adopted child, we can have uncertainty about our place in the family. We go like, Jesus, yeah, He's the real Son of God, but, you know, what about me? I, I feel like I'm over here. I don't feel like I truly am God's son or God's daughter. And what's Amazing about your father, and I'll call him your father from now on, not the father, because he's your father, if you're a Christian. Your father really, really, really wants you to know deep down in your bones that you're truly his kid. Like, this is super important to him. Like any good father, he wants his kids to be absolutely certain of his love for them and his delight in them. And so he does this work through the Holy Spirit. And that's what verse 16 is about. Take a look at it again. 
The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we're children of God. Like the Father so intensely desires that you would feel like you're really his kid, that he, he delights in you uh, like he delights in Christ, that he sent his Spirit into you to testify directly to you, to your spirit, that you're truly a child of God. And I see that he does this in three ways in this text. And the three ways are the Spirit leads us to fight our sin. That's verses 12 through 14. The Spirit frees us to love God. It's verse 15. And the Spirit sustains us in our suffering. Let's look at the first one. The Spirit leads us to fight our sin. So one of the ways that the Holy Spirit testifies to our spirit that we really are sons and daughters of God is that he leads us to fight our sin. Look at verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Okay, there you have it. Like, how can I know that I'm a son or a daughter of God? I can know because I'm led by the Spirit, right? It says it right there in verse 14. It's like, how can I know? How can I be sure of my adoption? I can be sure if I'm led by the Spirit. Now, what does led by the Spirit mean? Um, a lot of times when people hear led by the Spirit, they immediately think this has to do with decision-making or guidance or knowing the next best decision. How many of you guys thought that immediately? Okay, not in this text, okay? I'm not saying it's not anywhere, but it's definitely not here. If you look at the context, that's not what this is talking about. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says we're no longer debtors to the flesh. We no longer have to live according to the impulses of our sinful nature, right? We've been set free from slavery to sin by the Holy Spirit. That's what verse 12 is about. And then verse 13 says that by the Spirit, we can now put to death the deeds of the body, that we can actually put to death sin in our life by the power of the Spirit. So with that context in mind, what do you think being led by the Spirit means? He doesn't suddenly change the subject. Verses aren't like, at least in Romans, are not like a string of pearls. They're all different gems. They're interlocking. It's an argument. It's a sentence. He's, he's going through and he's connecting things. So if he talked about you know, fighting sin in, the in verse 12 and in verse 13, and then he talks about being led by the Spirit, I think we can pretty carefully consider here, very clearly consider here, that being led by the Spirit is about being led to fight the sin in our lives. Being led by the Spirit is, is being led by the Spirit into battle with our own sin. That's what he's doing. When you're led by the Spirit, you're being led by the Spirit to fight the sin in your life. This is the same uh, wording that's used in Matthew 4, when Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to fight the temptations of the devil, being led by the Spirit to actually fight sin. It's the same wording. So we are led by the Spirit when we follow the Spirit's conviction. When you feel that like pang of like, okay, I shouldn't do this. This isn't something I should be a part of. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you if you're a Christian. And then we should rely on his power to actually kill that sin every single day. He says, put to death the deeds of the body. The older authors were mortification, okay? In older Bibles and stuff, it'll say mortify, mortification. Now it means you're embarrassed, right? It used to mean you're dead, okay? It used to mean to kill things, right? Mortician, mortify, you know? It's about death. It's putting to death sin by the power of the Spirit. And so every day, putting it to death. And I won't go into details on that because we did a whole series on that, Romans 6, 7, 8. But that's one of the ways we can know that we're truly a child of God is that we hate our sin and we seek the Spirit to put it to death. I'm not talking about sinlessness. I'm talking about being in the fight. And you know the difference, right? You know when you're not in the fight and when you are in the fight. 
you can know if you're in the fight, even if you're only marginally successful, that you're a child of God because you hate your sin and you're seeking the Spirit to put it to death. The Spirit leads us as he leads us in a battle. He leads us in a battle with our own sin. That's what it means in verse 14, to be led by the Spirit. And as we go into battle against our sin, it's really cool because he says we have the spirit of adoption. Like We battle sin not as people who are trying to earn God's love, but people that already know that they're greatly loved by God. And that's a whole different motivation, guys, for battling sin. You know, you can battle sin out of fear of judgment. You can battle sin out of trying to earn your salvation. You can battle sin for all kinds of different reasons, to be superior to other people, all kinds of things, to respect yourself. You know, there could be a whole bunch of motivations. But the best motivation, guys, is that you're doing it because you're loving him back. It's not to earn his love. You have his love. You're his child. It's to love him back. William Cooper, who lived 1700s, I think, famous hymn writer, he, he put it this way, to see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. Isn't that amazing? That's what adoption does. It changes a slave into a child and duty to choice. Because who wants to please more? A slave pleases master or a child to please the, the father he loves? Very clearly the second one. And so as we battle sin, we don't battle it you know, as a, out of fear and out of you know, legalism or any of those kinds of things. We do it as his child. And, and look at the father we have. 1 John 3 says this, See what love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself just to see is pure. It's a motivation, right? It's like you're God's beloved son. You're God's beloved daughter. And you want to live in the way that God has shown you to live because you love him and you want to mirror him. And you want to, you know, you want to reflect him. And guys, there's no sin that offers anything better than that. Okay? And you know it. You do know. Like, even if you're tempted to a particular sin, you know it's not better than your adoption in Christ. You know that. You know? It's crazy, right? You go like, I do know, but I still want this. It, that's absurd. It's insane. Right? There's nothing better than this. There's nothing better than Christ. So the Spirit testifies to our spirit that we're children of God by leading us to hate our sin and fight it. And so I just ask you tonight, do you hate your sin? You know, there's some things you can hate, right? Hate, you got hate for a reason, right? You hate sin, right? You can hate the devil, feel free to hate him. There's a a use for hate (laughs) and we should hate our sin. You hate your sin. Do you fight it? I'm not saying are you like entirely successful. I'm just saying, are you fighting it? Are you seeking to put it to death by the Spirit. Is the Spirit leading you into battle against your own sin every day? And if he is, it's a sign you're a child of God. And, and the Holy Spirit wants to testify to us tonight, if that's true of us, that we are children of God. That's what he does. That's what he wants to do. The Father wants you to know you're a child of God. Secondly, the Spirit frees us to love the Father. Another way the, the Spirit testifies to our spirit that we're children of God is that he frees us to love the Father, love our Father. Look at verse 15. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So the spirit frees us to love the Father. And and this makes sense because the Holy Spirit is the one who caused you to call out to God as Father the very first time. So 
you weren't initially a child of God. You were dead to him. You had no desire for him until the spirit came into you and he caused you to be born again. And he gave you life. You became alive to God. That's called regeneration. And like a newborn baby, you cried out. And the first thing you cried out was Abba, Father to God, right? That the, the, the first thing, the fruit of you being brought to spiritual life by the Holy Spirit is that you cried out as a newborn Christian, Abba, Father to God. And, and ever since then, this, the Spirit's ministry has been to keep stirring up your love for the Father. It's pretty cool. So um, this is where this thing kind of comes in. So, so he, the Spirit is, is giving us a sense of this part. Right, that the Son loves the Father. Somehow, by being united with the Son, we're actually experiencing the Son's love for our Father, His Father. Isn't that cool? Like the Spirit does that. He does that through union with Christ, and that's what we have going on here. And so, I just ask you: Do you love God? You know, if you sit back and you go, "I love God," and I call out to Him as my Father, you could conclude that you're a child of God, because normal people don't do that. I don't know if you've asked around. But that's not normal, okay? That's definitely a supernatural work if you're calling out to God as your Father. And here's another amazing thing. Look at what the Spirit calls us to cry out to our Father. Look at verse 15. Whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Okay, the Spirit causes us to cry out Abba to God our Father. Now, Abba is an Aramaic word for dad. And it's an Aramaic word for dad that, that even babies could say, Abba right? Super easy to say. And so babies would even call their dad Abba, Abba. And what's weird about this is, is that this book, Romans, is written in Greek to mostly Greek speakers, and he doesn't translate it here. This is an Aramaic word, like in the middle of the Greek. Like, what's going on here? Why would he do that? He doesn't translate it. Why? Because Abba is the exact Aramaic word that Jesus said to his father. This is the exact word. Like, and when he spoke it, it freaked people out because it was a word of like intense familiarity, right? And in the Judaism of that time, at least, they did not do that. They didn't call God Abba. It wasn't respectful enough. You didn't do it. Like, it's too familiar. But Jesus did. That's exactly what he would call his father. And he did it multiple times. And it shocked people because of the familiarity. But Jesus was and is God's actual son. And so God is and was his Abba, <laughs> It's totally legitimate for Jesus to call him Abba. He is his Abba. And what's cool is you can too because he's now your Abba. He's your Abba through union with Christ. You've been adopted. And now you yourself can say to God, you can call him dad. You can call him by a very familiar name. You can call him Abba. And you will because the spirit has actually implanted, like I was saying over there, the son's love, the son's affection, the son's dependency, the son's trust in your heart so that you call out to him. You're actually calling out to him something Jesus would call out to him because you're united with Christ. And so if you're a Christian, you find Jesus' love and his loyalty and his trust for the Father coming out of your own heart. So I just ask you tonight, is that your cry of your heart tonight? Maybe you never even heard the word Abba before, but the, the spirit of it, right? The dependency, the familiarity, the, the trust, the love of Abba. Is that your cry to God tonight? Um, and, and if it is, I know exactly where it came from. It came from the Holy Spirit in you, connecting you to Christ. And it came into you because in eternity past, God the Father chose to adopt you and send his son to pay for your sins so that one day he would have you as his very child. There's no other explanation for it, right? And so if that's you tonight, God wants you to know you're a child of God.
And not only that, but we know from Romans 5 that he not only gives us the sense of the son's love for his father, like that's, this comes out of our heart when we say Abba, Father, but he also gives us a sense for the father's delight in the son, right? That, that God loves us like he loves Jesus, and, and he gives us a sense of that. If you look at Romans 5.5, 5, it talks about that. It says, God's love has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit he's given to us. And so the father has always enjoyed and loved the son. And in his earthly life, he would talk about it, right? Like at the baptism, he yelled it from heaven. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, right? And because you're in Christ, he feels that way about you. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And what's cool is the Holy Spirit wants to make sure you hear it, right? He, he wants to make sure you hear it. So he, he testifies to your spirit that you're a child of God. And if a child, verse 17 says, then heir, heir of God and heir with Christ. Because we're really his sons and daughters, we get an inheritance. We're fellow heirs with Christ. You say, well, what's the inheritance? There's many things, and we're going to look at some of them next week. But in this text, it says that we're heirs of God. What's the inheritance we get? We get God. Isn't that amazing? It's like, well, we already have God. Well, we have some experience of God. We already have him. You know, we're already his, his sons. We're already united to Christ. We're already secure in him. But are you experiencing this all the time? Some of the stuff I told you, you're like, I haven't felt that lately. Okay, right. You're only experiencing it in little bits. But what we're going to experience in the world to come is a richer sense of God's love and his delight and, and his beauty and his glory. And we're going to enjoy him. We're going to have him. And that's why Paul talks about in other places, he talks about the Holy Spirit being a down payment, right? The down payment is a partial payment. The Holy Spirit's giving us a piece, a bit of what it feels like, a bit of the happiness that comes from knowing God. And that bit is to remind us that all the rest is coming later. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing to have no barrier between us and God, but to completely enjoy his presence, the place where all happiness comes from. So the Spirit testifies that we are children of God by freeing us to love God. Do you love God tonight? That's supernatural. That's the Spirit. It's the Spirit at work. The Spirit wants to testify to your spirit that you're a child of God. Third, the Spirit sustains us in our suffering. The third way that the Spirit testifies to our spirit that we're children of God, he sustains us in suffering. Look at verse 17. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. I don't know what yours says there, but it makes some sort of conditional word there, right? Mine says provided. What does yours say? Anything else? Something different? Provided? Provided. It's a condition, right? The logic here is that a true child of God who will receive the inheritance and be glorified with Christ, will remain faithful in suffering. And that doesn't mean perfect faithfulness. doesn't mean sinlessness. It means you hold on and you don't leave him when things get hard. You don't leave him in suffering. And so the Spirit testifies to our spirit that we're children of God by keeping us with Christ even through some really super difficult experiences, intense suffering. And so I want to ask you tonight, have you suffered and stayed faithful to the Lord? And I'm not talking like you, you got a gold star through it or anything like that. I'm talking about you're still with him. Okay, You're still following him. Have you suffered and stayed faithful to the Lord? Have you suffered from physical pain and stayed faithful to the Lord through it? Have you, uh, have you suffered as a parent? Have you suffered as a parent and stayed faithful to the Lord? Have you 
have you suffered financially? Have you suffered financially and yet you stayed faithful to the Lord? You know, Jesus talked about the parable of the soils, right? One of them is you get choked out by the deceit of riches and the troubles in this world, right? Like this happens all the time. We know this, right? Have you suffered financially and you stayed faithful to the Lord? Have you suffered in a broken marriage faithfully and stayed faithful to the Lord? Have you done that? Have you suffered the loss of friends or family and yet miraculously you stayed faithful to the Lord? You know? Have you suffered mental illness? Have you had some mental illness that you've suffered and you've suffered through this thing and you've stayed faithful to the Lord? Have you suffered severe temptations, maybe unique temptations that are you know, not very common? You know, you've suffered temptation and yet you stayed faithful to the Lord. Guys, that's the Holy Spirit in you. Right? It's got to be. It's got to be. It's supernatural. Okay, so many people have left the Lord for those kind of things. A lot of those things you suffered and you stayed faithful, you know? Some of you got burned in all kinds of ways and had all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of trials, and you stayed faithful. Tons of people have left the Lord through those kind of things. Happens every day. It's happening in mass right now in our culture. Like our culture, our postmodern culture that we're dealing with right now is like an acid to all nominal Christians. They're just dissolving, okay? And you stayed faithful to the Lord. Guys, that's the Holy Spirit in you. And, and, and God wants you to tonight, if that's you, he wants to testify to your spirit that you're truly a child of God. He wants you to know that. He wants you to have confidence going out there and fighting sin and dealing with struggles and all those things. He wants you to go out with the confidence that you're truly a child of God. Really hard to deal with this stuff if you don't have that. Really hard. So that's the Holy Spirit in you. You're suffering with Jesus in order that you may also be glorified with him. The Spirit's testifying. And I just say to you tonight, if you're in that kind of furnace of affliction right now, I would just say to you, hold on, it's going to be worth it. Hold on, it's going to be worth it. We're going to see a bit of the glory to come in in verse 18 next week. I'm not going to do it right now, but I'll just give you a little sampler, a small appetizer, like a a bacon wrap shrimp of it, okay? (laughs) says this in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So however that can be justified, that's going to be good, okay? But for now, I just want you to know, God himself is going to make all things right. I mean, if you look at Revelation 21, it says that God himself is going to wipe away every tear from every eye. God is going to make it right. He's going to make it all right. There's a line in in one of C.S. Lewis's books where one of his characters says this, They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for this. You ever thought that? Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. He has a way of doing that. He did it at the cross, right? If we suffer with him, we will be glorified with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you don't just forgive us and hold us at arm's length. You didn't just turn away your your wrath for our sin and leave us as mere servants. And that you didn't free us from slavery to sin just to have us be your employees or something. But that you brought us all the way in. Made us your child, your children, your sons and your daughters. They're before you right now. And you've enveloped us in this love that you've had for your Son in the Holy Spirit from all eternity. And it's awesome. And we pray, Lord, that you give us more and more a taste for that. 
Lord, we pray that we set some time aside, like during the week, to be undistracted, to just meditate on that, so that we could have more of an experience of that reality. Lord, we know your spirit. We know you've sent your spirit because you desire so much to let us know how loved we are, how much you care for us. And we just pray, Lord, that we would set aside some time just to partake, to enjoy the ministry of the spirit in that area. And I pray, Lord, for everyone here that is truly a child of God, that they would know it, that they would know it, that it would be the main thing they think about themselves. They'd wake up every morning with that as their thought, I'm God's kid. And we pray, Lord, for anyone here who doesn't yet have that relationship with you. Lord, we pray you give it to them even now. That they would find themselves strangely drawn to you. That they would find this word of the gospel, which maybe they've heard before, they would find it incredibly attractive. That they would realize that this is something that the world has nothing to compare with this. There's no one out there that loves them like you love them. And Lord, we pray as we worship you, Lord, we pray that we would, just as we join your saints in heaven worshiping you and the angels and, and even all of creation, Lord, we, we pray that we give our whole hearts to worship you out of just sheer joy and delight in what you've done for us. And we pray as we take the Lord's Supper that you would feed us. Lord, as we gather around your table as your kids, at your family table, that we'd feel just your fatherly pleasure in us. Father, it's so good. I'm so thankful that you want us so intensely. You want us to know this. And we pray that that will would be done. In the in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.